do something a little bit different this morning. I'm, I'm speaking a, um, just a one-off sermon. It's not part of a series uh, or anything like that. But we're looking at a really, really famous story. And uh, I'm going to read it in a moment. But I'm going to encourage you to get your Bibles out. If that's your iPhone, go ahead and do that. If that's a Samsung, we can pray for you. But you can also do that. Um, but go get a phone out or a tablet or something. The reason why it's really important for you to do this, I know when a preacher often says this, you kind of just go, well, you're going to read it out anyway, so I don't need it. I get it. Um, but I'm actually going to ask you to turn to a neighbor in a minute, and I want you to just speak to that neighbor really quickly about what stands out in this scripture when we read it, okay? So uh, it's a famous story. Anyone ever heard of the story of the prodigal son before? Hey, well, that's what we're looking at this morning, and uh, it's, it's a brilliant story. In my opinion, this is one of the stories in the Bible uh, that got Jesus crucified. Uh, when you understand the context and the historical elements of it, what Jesus was saying in this story was like way against what anyone else was saying. And, and we'll unpack a little bit of that in a moment. But it's in Luke chapter 15. And uh, we're going to read from verse 11. And we're going to read it all. And then I'm going to ask you just to turn to someone next to you. If you're with someone, that's great. If you're here for the first time, it might be just an opportunity to say hello and introduce yourself. Don't worry too much uh, about that as well. But uh, here, here we go from verse, verse 11, the parable of the lost son. Then he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, father, give me a portion of the goods that fall to me. So he divided them his livelihood. He divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in need or want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into a field to feed the swine or the pigs. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose, and he came to his father's house. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion, and he ran out towards him, fell on his uh, neck, and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against you in heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said, to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fattened calf here and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead, but now is alive. He was lost and now is found. Hallelujah. Come on. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. Anyone love a party in the room? Okay, okay. So he called one of the servants and asked, what do these things mean? Why is there so much noise? And he said to him, your brother has come home. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fine calf and they're having a party. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, the father came out to the older son and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, these many years I have been serving you, I never transgressed your commandments at any time. And yet, you never gave me a young goat that I might be able to celebrate with my friends. But as soon as this son, my brother of yours, comes, he's devoured all the money you've given him. 
and you killed a fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. So listen to those words for a moment again. Son, daughter, in this room this morning, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. What a wonderful promise. It was right that we should make celebrations and be glad, for your brother was dead, but he is now alive. He was lost, and now he is found. Praise God for his saving grace, hey. We're going to unpack this in in just a moment, but I I thought it would just be really good instead of me just kind of speaking and sharing that um, I would give the opportunity just for you to turn to someone. And just in, you know, you might have heard this story a million times, but even just in these last few moments, was there a particular thing that struck you, stood out to you? Was there anything there that's like, this has spoken into my life before I relate to this situation? Whatever it is, I'm going to give you literally two to three minutes to try summarize your thoughts into a couple of sentences and then get the reply. Okay, off you go. Two to three minutes. And if you're watching online this morning, we'd love to hear your thoughts as well. Uh, please do comment uh, your exact same thoughts. What is it that stands out in this passage to you? Uh, if you're brave and confident enough to engage with the chat, uh, we would also just love to know uh, specifically what stands out for you in this, in this story. Um, so please do engage and let us know. I think we have a few online pastors that I'm sure uh, will be able to relate to you in this as well. The prodigal son, the story of the lost son. What is it that stands out for you in this Awesome, just 30 more seconds in the room, just 30 more seconds. Amazing. Okay, I'm going to ask you to try bring your attention back in. This may be the hardest point of my whole sermon, trying to get you all back in, but we will give it a go. <laughs> That's a distraction for you guys to listen, I think. Amazing. So glad that you guys could just share there your thoughts. Um. Just as, just as we was waiting there and you guys were talking, a uh, little bit of a word that I just felt, this isn't necessarily going to come into my sermon today, but just a word that um, I wanted to put out there uh, to, to perhaps someone in the room or, or even watching online. And that is um, to the mothers in the room that have cried over your sons and daughters, there will be a restoration that will come. That's the word that I felt, felt on this. There will be a restoration that comes. Hey, this, this story is an amazing story. You've, you've probably heard it many times. You've maybe read it many times. Perhaps you're in the room and you've never heard it before. And, and so glad you're here if that is you because praying that this just helps you see some things as well. Um, when you go back to the first few verses in uh, Luke chapter 15, you start to see the context of what this is all about. And, and effectively what's happening here is Jesus has been going around doing some really cool things. And 
People are kind of happy with him at this point. He's been healing people, raising people from the dead. I don't know if that happened around you, but you probably wouldn't be too angry, right? Like, it's good things that Jesus is doing. Um, and then what starts to happen is these, uh, as he's healing people and raising people from the dead and teaching and doing all these things, um, the priests and the vicars and the preachers of the time start to realize that Jesus is spending more and more time with people that look less and less like them. Um, how many people know that Jesus didn't really have friends that looked like the church, right? At times and in moments, Jesus didn't have friends that looked like the church. They didn't smell like the church. They didn't talk like the church. In fact, they were nothing like the church. And the, the priests, the vicars, the tax collectors in verses 2, if you read back from verse 15, chapter 15, they say that you are spending too much time with sinners. That claim is my hope, right? Let me just put that out there now. You're spending too much time with sinners. It said that Jesus received sinners, received people that were sinning and, and in bad accusations. And, and effectively what happens in John, uh, Luke chapter 15, um, Jesus starts to reply to these accusations. So he's got this big group of people. There's Pharisees, scribes, preachers, teachers. There's sinners, there's tax collectors, there's prostitutes. It's a real mixed bag. And they start accusing him, you're spending too much time with sinners. So Jesus goes, right, I'm going to tell you a story that has three different parts of the story, but it's the same point. And he goes in in Luke chapter 15, and he starts to talk about three different parables to try relay a, an answer to these accusations that Jesus is getting of you're spending too much time with sinner. The first one is the sheep. And you can read a little bit before that Jesus speaks about how there was 100 sheep, 99 were safe, one goes lost, and he goes and leaves the 99 to find the one sheep. And there's this message that comes through that the Pharisees and the teachers would have heard really clearly, and it's this message that humans are prone to wander. That's the message that Jesus is wanting to get across to them at this point, that we're, we are prone to wander as humans. We will navigate ourselves away from community. We will sometimes leave the person of Jesus. We will find ourselves at times isolated and lost, but he's trying to say that I'm the good father that's willing to leave the group to find the one. He goes on to the next story, and he speaks about this woman that's got 10 coins, and these 10 coins don't signify a load of money. It's kind of like a week's wage, and she loses one coin. She's got nine coins there, but she loses one, and she like turns her whole house upside down to find this one coin. It's like me when I lose my car keys, am I right? I'm wandering around, and I'm desperately trying to find my car keys, just like this woman was with this one coin. And there's this message that Jesus starts to betray to them that they would have understood, that when she finds this one coin, she gathers her neighbors, and she throws this really big party. In fact, in the first story, the same thing happened. When Jesus came back with the one sheep, he threw this really big party. And in the coin story, Jesus is trying to get across something. And here's what he's trying to get across, that every single one of us, we're made in the image of God. We have value on our life. Genesis 1, 26 and 27 says, For God made humankind in our image. The Trinity's image. Man and female. He made them in the image of God. And here's Jesus speaking to him. He said, hey, everyone that's here, no matter where you find yourself, we're made in the image of God. We're prone to wonder. We're made in the image of God. And then we get to this story. Two sons. One father mentioned. The son goes missing. And he starts to speak about how the son squanders a whole load of the, the money. And there's a, there's a bit of background, which I'll, I'll talk about in a minute. But effectively, here's, here's what, is, what is happening. He's trying to tell the people listening that we're all his children. And we all need a father. So in the three stories, Jesus has got all these people around. And he's saying, hey, 
before you do any exploits, before you teach, before you do ministry, before you go into the calling and purpose of God, here's what we must always realize. And the three combined to simply mean that we are lost children made in the image of God who are in need of a perfect father. And he speaks about this and they're, they're listening and they're kind of getting to grasp it. But then he goes into the story of this lost son and it starts to get, starts to get really interesting. Over the next few moments, I want to just unpack three invitations that we see from the father. That's all I want to do. I don't want to spend too much time speaking of the older brother, which I know many of you might, in your answers might have spoken about the older brother, or the son himself, perhaps, that went wandering. But today, I want to speak about three invitations that we see in the scripture that is from the father. So the crowd is standing there. Jesus is speaking about this boy. He's come. Cultural um, understanding, let me give you a little bit of that. If a, if a son asks the father for an inheritance early is the biggest disrespect you can possibly bring to your father. Like, it is culturally so wrong. Like, it's super disrespectful. Effectively, when the son in the story goes to the father and says, hey, I want what I deserve. I, I want my part of the land, my part of the money. What he is saying to the father in that moment is, I no longer want relationship with you. You're as good as dead to me. Just give me the goods and let me go. And that's why he goes to a far land and not a close land. Because in this story, the Pharisees, the teachers, they're hearing this and they're thinking, Oh my gosh, I can't believe the son has just done this. He's gone against cultural boundaries. He is doing everything that he should not be doing. And he takes it and he walks away. And as he starts to walk away, he squanders his money in sin. Sumtang translations will speak about how there was prostitutes and clubs and all these kind of things that he did. And then he ends up in a pigsty. And again, cultural relevance, really important. Pigs, when you look at the Old Testament and you realize the significance of that, not only is he becoming physical un physically unclean, he is becoming ceremonially unclean at this point. So loads of things has happened. And here's the Pharisees, the teachers, the preachers. They're rubbing their hands. They've heard sermons like this before. And they know what's coming. And here's what's coming. What's the punishment of the son? The law tells us, we've heard about the sermons when they've, they've preached and taught us about this, and they tell us about what you need to do to the son. The son's been a bad person. He's done the worst of the worst in this moment. What's his punishment? And you hear the murmurs of the crowd, and they kind of feel uh, their way through. They know what Jesus is about to come to, and they, they start to lean forward, and Jesus is bringing them in, and he's speaking about these horrendous things the son's done, and how he's processing the, the real bad things of disobedience and disrespect that he's done. And then he starts to wander back to the father's house, and they're thinking, here we go. He's going to get to the father's house, and he's going to be excommunicated, discommunicated. He's going to be in big, big trouble. He could, in fact, even be stoned to death because of all these things he's going to do. Tell us about the things he's going to do to this son, and they start to lean forward. We know what the law says. We know what you're going to say, Jesus. And here's the words of Jesus from far off, filled with compassion. He leaves his home. To embrace the son in unknown territory. He embraces him with arms of grace and compassion. He kisses his cheek. And he says, you're home, son. You're home, son. And here's the first invitation of the father. It's an invitation to his presence. The father invites every single one of us, no matter what we have done in our life. No matter how unclean or impure we have been and may even will be into his presence. The most scandalous defiance in the face of these teachers, 
Here's what I want to bring just on this thought. Not only was he physically unclean, but he was ceremonially unclean. We've got a few farmers in the church, right? And some of you will deal with pigs more than I will, right? But I don't think pigs are the cleanest of things, right? They seem a little bit dirty. And he was living with pigs literally for three or four days. Can you imagine the smell? Like the smell must have been quite bad, right? And here he is. He's literally stinking. He's got this stench on him of where he has been. He, He is really hungry and impoverished. But not only is he physically dirty, covered in muck and He's not had a shower or bath. He's, he's got all these things on him, but he's also ceremonially unclean. The, the teachers and the preachers would have known at this moment, if this father touches him, even just touches him, he's going against the very law. There's a ceremonial uncleanliness about him. He's not just physically unclean, but spiritually he's actually unclean. And here we see this picture of a physical unclean young man and a spiritual unclean young man and a father who has done no harm and no wrong. And not only does he run and not only does he kiss, but he hugs the man. He embraces him. And in that embrace, here's what starts to happen. The physical dirt of this son starts to get on the father's clothes. And he starts to hug the physical uncleanliness, but also there's this spiritual significance of the uncleanliness ceremonially that he's embracing at this moment. The dirty, forgotten son is transferring his dirt onto the father. Can you see where I'm going here? Suddenly we see this beautiful picture of the cross. The most beautiful picture of the cross that we can possibly ever see. Because there is a good, good father. And he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, into the world for every single person that is spiritually and physically unclean. That when we embrace the person of Jesus, suddenly our mess is transferred onto him. And not only does that happen, we are free from all the baggage that we have ever had. And we are invited to the party. And here we see this incredible, incredible picture of the father inviting this son into his presence. You see, when we step into the presence of God, suddenly the weights of this world don't feel very strong anymore. And when we step into the embrace of the father, suddenly we start to hear that which we should hear and see that which we should see. And in this moment right now where so much is happening globally around the world, here's what we need. We need the presence of God. We desperately need the presence of God. We need the embrace of the father, the young, clean son embraced by the clean father. You see, the father doesn't look at us and want us to clean ourselves up. He doesn't look at us and want us to earn or or deserve his love. The scandalous truth of this story, the reason why it's so, so scandalous in the time, is that he literally starts to speak about how our success And our failures mean nothing to him. He just wants to be close. That's all he wants. He wants his children back. He wants his sons and his daughters back. He wants to hug them. He wants to be close to them. Before anything else, before the preaching, the teaching, the church planting, we have a father who just wants us. I don't know where you've been. I don't know how you've ended up in this church. I don't know if you're watching online, you've stumbled across this and this is resonating with you. But if you are a son or a daughter that has found themselves in a dirty situation, there is grace and compassion in the eyes and heart of the Father. And we are longing for you to come home. Longing for you to come home. This is the gracious, compassionate power of the Father. He saves the lost, he redeems the broken, and he befriends the sinners. The scandalous 
grace in the face of sin. Notice something here. And this is something for you guys that may have been troubled at times with religion. Notice something here. In the embrace, there is no consequence for his sin. Think about that for a moment. No consequence for his sin. There is no heaviness for his burden. There is no bringing up that which he has done wrong. There is no weight of his shame. There is just the delight of the father embracing his son. So often when we sin, the enemy makes us run away from the presence of the father. And I'm here to tell you, if you ever make a mistake, run straight towards him. Run straight towards him. The enemy has this tactic that before the sin happens, he makes us think and believe that there's no consequence of the sin. So he's like, just do it, it's fine. Just go, just go do it, you'll be fine. There's grace, there's compassion, and then we do it. And then what starts to happen? Suddenly the enemy's voice changed, doesn't he? And he goes, how dare you, that's unforgivable. How dare you? Two voices, the same voice from the enemy, either side of sin. Friends, don't listen to either of them. Say no to the sin and run to the Father. There is compassion in the invitation to the presence. He longs to be close to us. But not only that, here's the good news of point two. He then invites us to a party. Who likes a party in the room, hey? Come on, I like a party. I mean, there's parties and there's parties, right? There's parties that have quiche and parties that have fun, right? I'm joking. Come on. I'm joking. I believe in heaven there'll be both, okay? There'll be both. Unity. We're all together. Here is a party, a picture of a party, and let me tell you, it's a party. Like a party party. Like down the road, everyone can hear the music, the fun, the joy, the celebration. It is a party party. And the second invitation from the Father is simply this. Guys, we're invited to a party. We are invited to a party. Like an eternal party, right? Every time a soul is saved, there is a celebration in heaven. There is joy that abounds. There is angels singing, clapping, and cheering. But not only that, I want to tell you, there should be a party in this room as well. Never ever lose the, the, the magnificence, magnificence and awe of what salvation is. When you see salvation take place, don't just think it's a hand in the sky. Know that it is a soul that has been saved. It is chains falling to the ground. It is redemption coming to his people. It's light invading darkness one by one, church by church. We go, we move, and we see the party erupting. Listen, Newton Abbott Church is going to do some incredible things, but here's what it's going to be. It's going to be a party. It's going to be, hey, come and join us at the party. Come and join us and see what God is doing. Come and celebrate in the magnificence of God. Come and feast, taste, and see that the Lord is good. He's still saving souls. He's still setting people free. Chains are still falling. We've got reason to celebrate in the church. But, honesty time, so often we're not celebrating, right? Mark has had this quote that he said a few times in a sermon, and, and it has never left me. It's a quote that has really, really defined so much of my thinking, and, and it's, it's simply this. Mark, sorry if I misquote you slightly. The church can so often be a party that nobody is dancing at. 
I think there's a need in our hearts and in our lives as the dark world becomes darker and as things start to aspire around us and the more evil and decay that we see happening in our very faces, there's a need for a church to be marked by joy. Joy is the greatest defiance in the very face of evil. We don't, we, don't, we don't bow down to the cultural narratives of what is taking place around us. We bow down to the one who is the very source of joy, and that is the Father. And he longs to invite us to a place where we can say, even though it gets darker, I have a joy and a hope that will shine brighter. There's a different message that you need to hear. And it's not the message that this, this world is going to suddenly blow up and we're all going to die. It's the message that King Jesus is on his way back. And the Spirit and the Bride say, come, come, Holy Spirit, come, Jesus, let us partner with you and let us see the great party resound even more. There is a party from the Father that he is inviting every single one of us to, and maybe some joy needs to come back into people's hearts and lives. Maybe dancing needs to come back. You remember the days when worship used to come place, and it wasn't just like four people at the front just doing this weird jump? Right? I do it all the time. What about the days when the church on a Sunday morning comes in here filled with joy and we can't contain our dancing feet? Because it's not about what people will think about us. It's not about what people will see. It's about a joy that has affected our hearts that we can now celebrate and release the sound of joy to the world that is needing a sound of joy. And there's an invitation to a wonderful party, a wonderful party that allows us to move and dance and sing and rejoice for God is on the throne. And I believe the invitation is to us today. It's an invitation. Just notice that the young son, when he's in this party, is with all his mates and they're having a dance and they're laughing. Notice that there's nothing of a comment that the son is thinking about what he's just done. Notice there's nothing in there thinking... Well, I kind of miss those clubs, or I kind of miss those prostitutes, and I, and I miss the things that I was doing before. There's no mention of him missing the pigsty. We just see a picture of a son forgetting everything that he has done in the past and enjoying the party of the father. You see, the father places on us, and he goes all out to bring us the best party. It's not just a simple party. It's not a party that we can find anywhere else. It's a party of the father. Why? Because every single one of us is dearly loved. We're dearly loved, and from the overflow of the Father's heart for his loved children, his loved sons and daughters, there's an expression of, I want to put on the best party for my children. So not just put some music on S Club 7. No, 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 no. Get the best robe you've possibly got. Get the best ring you've possibly got. Get the biggest calf you possibly can, and let's come together, and let's feed on the presence of God. Let's rejoice in all that he is doing, and let us put on the best party. It's a party that celebrates the lost being found. It's a party that celebrates sinners having a home. It's a party that declares his love for his people. It's a party that celebrates peace and love and grace. You are not unloved this morning. It's been a message that's been coming through every single week. It's like it can't come through any louder. You're not unloved. You are not unloved. You are not not wanted. There is a father that longs for you to join his party. He longs for you to come and be part of his community. How do we party when there's so much going around us? And how do we party when there's devastation that we're seeing in Ukraine? Well, we see our third and final invitation happening. And it's when the father for a moment leaves the party 
and he goes and has a conversation with the elder son. And here the elder son is out in the back in the garden and he's hearing the commotion, the joy. And he's seeing the peace, he's seeing the change, he's seeing the difference. He's, he notices that something's going on in there that I'd like to be part of. But he's on the outside looking in. And suddenly we see that the father goes out to the elder son and it says he pleaded with him to come in. The same grace for the lost son is now extended to the elder son. And here's the invitation, the final invitation. It's an invitation to those on the margins. It's an invitation to those on the periphery. It's an invitation to those who are lost. And as I was preparing this, I believe there's people watching online right now. And you're some of those people. And the Father's saying, come back in. Come and enjoy the party. Come be with the people of God. And come and celebrate what he is doing. Band, if you'd like to join me on the stage. See, the presence of the Father leads to the party and hope of the gospel, which leads us to a broken and hurting world. There isn't a clearer picture right now of, of this world. I, I don't know what is. Friends, the, the God of this world will, will continue to leave the party of heaven to save the one. He's been doing it his whole life. He did it through the person of Jesus. And now guess what? He's doing it through the people of the church. The Holy Spirit comes and ignites his people to be a people of presence, to be a people of party, but to be a people that are postured for the lost, a people that are postured to those that are looking in, a people that are postured to see the very things of Jesus in this very day and age. Friends, when we read the book of Acts, we see the miracles taking place, and I am adamant they can still happen today. I am adamant that the Holy Spirit has not stopped, that he is still working, and there is still a mission for us to complete. The father's heart is extended to the older son on the margins and on the periphery who is growing in frustration. I find it so fascinating that the elder brother in this story, by the way, had not left home. Note that there. Sometimes we can be close in proximity but far in spirit. Sometimes we can be in the room but not in there with the spiritual fragrance of Jesus. There is a call for us in this moment to gently, and I, I present this just with humility, please hear my heart here. There's a caution here to check ourselves. Am I all in? Or am I just attending? Am I serving? Or am I just getting? Am I leading? Or am I just following? Have I laid everything down for the sake of Jesus? Am I willing to embrace the party once again? To be the sent ones? I'm absolutely convinced that when we give account of our, of our lives, which we will do, the good and the bad, when Jesus returns, we will only get five seconds into eternity and think back and think, man, I wish I gave everything of my life. I wish my job didn't restrict me. I wish finance didn't hold me back. I wish my relationships didn't stop me. 
I just wish I was all in. With everything I have, here I am, Lord. Send me. Send me. Wherever you want, I will go. Whatever you want to do, I will do. I'm available. Send me. He looks at the eldest son and he says, My son, the father said, You're always with me. And everything I have is yours. You see, the prize in this story was never the fattened calf. The prize in this story was never the amazing party, as fun as that was. The prize in this story is simply coming to the understanding that we have everything that which the Father has. God's the prize. We have been equipped for these moments of darkness to be a light that shines with hope. And I believe the Father's heart aches for those on the margin. He aches for those who are hurting. And we're all aware of the carnage and chaos happening around the world right now. And as much as we may not be able to join them physically, we absolutely can join them spiritually. And that which can be done in the spirit can often far surpass that which can be done in the natural. For every soul that is lonely, there is a Father that invites him to his presence. For every soul that is lost, there is a Father that invites him to an eternal party. For every soul that is angry and upset, there is a Father that invites him to his grace. Hope has not been lost. Hope has been restored because the message of Jesus still stands on this day. Would you join me in standing church? We're just going to pray. I'm going to hand back to Mark in a moment and, and Mark, feel, fit, feel free to, to go wherever you want with this. But there's just one prayer... There's two prayers, let me be honest. There's two prayers that I want to do. First one is for anyone in the room that, that wants to come back to Jesus. I don't ever want to preach the message of Jesus and not give the opportunity for people to respond to him. And I'm wondering whether there's people in the room today that, that are like, do you know what? I feel like I've been distant and far and I'm desperate to come back to him. That's the first thing. The second thing is a really simple thing. If you know a prodigal child in your life, I want you to stand in the gap for them today. And I want us to pray that they will return home. If you know a prodigal child in your life, you know someone in your family, and you're desperate for them to come back home, I want to encourage you to stand in the gap today. And we're going to pray that all the children that have been lost will return home to the embrace of the Father. And guess what, church? I believe it's going to happen. Not by our power, not by our strength or by our might, but by the saving grace of King Jesus. I believe it can happen. Firstly, if you could close your eyes, if you're here this morning, you want to give your life to Jesus, or you want to respond to the gospel, you feel like you're coming home, you feel like there's an element of what I've been talking about, it's like, that's me, I, I want to come back and I want to embrace the Father's heart, I want to know what the party means, I want to step into his purposes and plans, then all I'm going to ask you to do is all eyes are closed in the room, is to just lift up your hand really high and I'm going to pray a prayer over you, you can do that now if that's you, and anyone online as well, you can also just let us know by messaging us. And as you lift up your hand, there's a few in the room already. If there's any more, I want you to do it just really quickly. Be brave. No one else is going to be, this is just between you and God. Be brave. Be brave. Wonderful. I can see hands slowly going up. Be brave here, church. Come on, be brave. This is for you. It's between you and God. Take no notice of anyone else around you. This is just between you and God right now. And church, as your eyes are closed, would you just pray with me now? that the Father's embrace will wrap around every single hand that is raised in this room. 
Come on, start to pray in our church. Start to pray. Jesus, I pray for every hand in this room that is represented. It is a hand of a son and daughter that you are longing to be close to. I don't know their story. I don't know their circumstance. But you know everything about them. You care for them. You have a longing and a heart for them. And I pray in this moment right now that they will be embraced by your love and they will experience something they've never experienced before. The compassion and the eyes and the heart of the Father will start to break off anything of darkness in people's lives. The chains will literally fall to the floor from your spirit and they will be strengthened and renewed by the goodness of God. Holy Spirit, I pray you fill every hand lifted high right now with your beautiful Holy Spirit. May love overflow from the top of their head to the tips of their toes. May they know they are cherished, they are loved, and they are cared for. We pray this in your powerful name. For those that have just had their hands raised, I want you to just repeat this prayer after me. It goes like this. Jesus, I'm sorry. You say it in your head if you want us to find. Jesus, I'm sorry. I turn away from my own choices. I'm sorry for the wrong things I've done. And I turn to your embrace. Father, come hug me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And from this day onwards, I choose to follow you with everything I have. I pray this in your powerful name. Amen. Thank you. You can open your eyes. Church, thank you for just respecting that moment. And right now, there's a party in heaven because people have just given their lives to Jesus. I'll come home. As a band are going to lead us in a celebration song, you can keep going, band. You feel free to keep going. If you have a prodigal in your life that you know, I want you to come forward, and I want us just to surround you with prayer that the prodigals will come home. So you just do that now. You come forward. If you know a prodigal, come fill out the space at the front here. And here's what I want you to do, church. I want us to dance like we can hear the prodigals coming home today. I want us to celebrate like there's a celebration in heaven. I want us to have joy in our hearts, the joy that I